Welcome to In My Headache. I'm Aaron Rhodes. And I'm Bill Brownlee. Aaron is the oldest member of Gen Z. Bill is the world's youngest baby boomer. Aaron and I argue about and sometimes agree on the music we love and hate on In My Headache. In each episode, Bill and I debate the merits of two new albums and one vintage recording. In this edition, Aaron and I evaluate the latest releases from the hardcore band Turnstile and the turbulent poet More Mother. We also turn our attention to Monica's hit 1998 album, The Boy Is Mine. Uh, In My Headache is sponsored by The Vinyl Underground at 7th Heaven, offering new news vinyl at 76th and Troost in Kansas City, Missouri. And speaking of the Vinyl Underground at 7th Heaven in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, Bill and I just caught a, a, little, a little gig there last night that I, I set up and I thought um, we, we, could, we could chat a little um, and see, seeing that we, if uh, maybe some of you are new listeners that have recently subscribed to the podcast feed, followed the blog, but we just took a few months of a break, and this is our first episode back. But uh, uh, I've, I ran into Bill once or twice in in, in that time, and uh, we we had fun at the All Ages Record Store show last night. Uh, Bill, did I overhear you being mistaken for a staff member? <laughs> well, as is very often the case, I was the oldest man in the room. And uh, yeah, kids, uh, the, the, the fans kept asking me questions about bathrooms, cash registers, <laughs> earplugs, and so on, smoking rules. And sometimes I went along with it and, you know, let them think that, yeah, this was my store. I was Jan Fisherman, the owner of Seventh Heaven. Other times I would just say, man, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just here for the music. Uh, I get it a lot and it's always funny. No, yeah, I just had to had to give you that one. But no, okay, uh, Bill, I I was catching up on ThereStandsTheGlass.com, your music blog, uh, last night after the show, and um, I you see we we do part in part of the dynamic of the show is our age gap, and um, you know, it's, it's, it's all about us kind of meeting in the middle and figuring out what we, we both enjoy. Um, but if I, if I may be frank with you, I've, 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 I've unlearned much of my, my ageism, but Bill, would you agree with, um, my, with me positing that your last month or two of blog posts have been very old man? Yeah, for sure. Like more than usual. <laughs> yeah, more than usual. Uh, I've, you know, gone deep. You know, during the during the pandemic, I did a full on opera immersion, yeah. starting from scratch, knowing nothing. And see, I, 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 that I, I didn't like. You were, you were still like, like some of your posts were still like, kind of like would would hit pop music, would hit like hip hop and stuff. But like, I feel like the last four of these have all been like yeah classical chamber music fucking whatever else yeah sorry go on yeah i it's just where my head's at and a lot of it isn't pure classical it's like uh, i i listen to a lot of avant-garde jazz too and yeah. I'll, I'll write about it and part of it aaron is i know that you know everyone's going to write about j cole it's not like i'm not listening to j cole yeah and it's not like I don't have opinions, but you know, what's the point? But if there's an avant-garde jazz album, there's going to be five reviews internationally. And I, I'm like, well, I, I'm, I may as well be one of those because someone's got to do it. Yeah. You know, that's how I feel very often too about, uh, you know, Kansas city's jazz scene. Uh, yeah. I, I'm just, you know, filling a hole and I write about what interests me. So as do you, of course. No, yeah. Um, so, okay. And one thing I wanted to ask you, do you think this, um, these old man style posts are perhaps because we have been speaking less and 
would you say that my posts on my blog in the time since the last episode have been perhaps more juvenile? <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair to say. And I like it when you go dumb. And uh, I so I, I, that's I, one I of think, my favorite pastimes. Yeah, I think it's a positive uh, for both of us. But yeah, it's like last month, I only went to, in the month of September, I only went to maybe six shows. Mm. And when I'm not going to see mainstream stuff in big venues, yeah, I tend to get weird on my left, left to my own devices, I get weird. Yeah. Uh, so now that I went to your punk show last night, I uh, probably, you're going to see me trending younger in the yeah. days and weeks to come. Bill, I'm so upset. Okay, just one one more thing before we get to the albums. Um, I'm so upset that I did not go to the Kevin Gates show at the Uptown uh, the other night because I, as as we, we 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 both agreed that Kevin Gates um, is a genius. Like one, because he talks to himself, as he says in his raps, and then two, just as you know, we go go back and listen to that episode. You can hear our thoughts on Kevin Gates. Um, but have you seen the clips from that concert? Like there's he like in the, he was I'm pretty sure he was performing two phones, like one of his bigger hits like that, you know, really didn't like well, no, I've no song really needs like there's a video clip I saw of him at the at the Kansas City show where he is like leaping through the air just in the middle of the chorus to two phones, like jumping as high as he can as he's like jogging. And like he pulls like both of his legs back, like while he's like mid air, and like just keeps like lands and keeps doing the song, and it was insane. And I'm I was I was sitting I was hanging out with my friends like a block away as this was happening. I'm like I really screwed up on this one. <laughs> well, we blew it. We talked in that episode of In My Headache about his new body and his new health, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that all that's real. Yeah, because I've seen Kevin Gates in the past and he was a little sluggish and lethargic and not memorable at all. So were you, were you at the Snoop and Wiz show or where had you seen him? Seen him. Uh, I was at that show yeah. and I think he did a show with Tech Nine at one point okay. as well as an opener. Uh, yeah, I, I obviously as I, I cheer for the older guys and I'm Glad to hear that uh, his stage presence matches his uh, the, the energy on his new latest releases. Yes. Um, okay. Well, with that, um, some some very some also very youthful and energetic music. Uh, my pick for this week was Turnstiles' "Glow On." Uh, Turnstile, as some may know, is a hardcore band from, I believe, Baltimore, Maryland, uh, or at least kind of coalesced from the DMV area. Um, and, you know, they're, they are one of the more kind of popular hardcore bands in 2021. Uh, I would say they're kind of like probably like top three, top five popularity wise. They're signed now to Roadrunner Records. I think this is their second LP for Roadrunner. And uh, yeah, they've kind of just had this, oh, it's, 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 I wouldn't say it's been a quick rise to the top, but like they, they were, they all, uh, multiple members played in the band uh, Trapped Under Ice previously. And they, they were one of the bigger hardcore bands of the late 2000s, early 10s. So once uh, Turnstile formed, they already had some some kind of energy behind them, and uh, it's kind of funny because I'm I want to see what what did what did you know about Turnstile uh, going into this album? Well, first of all, uh, you know I listen to pretty much everything always, so I listened to this album the day it came out, mm. and I thought, oh. Yeah, I, it's like if um, they, they kind of are refining what uh, offspring, suicidal tendencies and bands like that did. And I thought that's fine. 
but when you said you wanted to talk about this further, I, you know, have had it on repeat ever since. And, you know, I fell in love with it, you know, so sometimes one listen on a Friday morning isn't going to cut it. So yeah, I, I, I love this album and I'm glad I, uh, you know, had a chance to finally appreciate what it is, but what, what it's done for me is answered a question no one but me would ask, which is what if 311, arguably the worst rock band of all time, was actually a good band? That's what Glow On, the new Turnstile album, is. Oh my God, Bill, I'm, I, I almost brought up 311 before I asked you your thoughts and I'm very glad I didn't. I'm glad this came up independently because like that was, there were two like talking points about Turnstile early on in their career uh, for anyone who didn't care for what they were doing. And one was like, oh, this is just fucking 311, but hardcore. And it's like one, I do happen to be a fan of 311. Um, per- perhaps uh, in, in part due to nostalgia, but you know, we, that can be discussed another time. Uh, and two, they, they were, they were maligned as, and it's funny because it's the last time that I think anyone was brave enough to post this phrase or use this phrase. They were called, they were often called girlfriend hardcore just because like, you know, it was kind of more accessible and not as like dark and like, like dark aesthetically and like kind of mean as a lot of other hardcore bands are. So um, they've kind but the thing is like, I think a lot of the people that said that about them early on have kind of quietly like just given up on it or are perhaps fans at this point because, you know, the last they they've really just grown with each of the last three LPs, I think. And it's really impressive what they do. And yeah, I was going to, uh, cause there is the, I think they, they get 311 because the 311 comparison, because they, uh, just Brendan, the singer, he has like a similar vocal range to, uh, I think Nick Hexum and also like they'll throw like some reverb, reverb on his vocals sometimes which is which 311 will also do but it's also um becoming like as as they've like as people have like jokingly made that comparison a little less over the years they have kind of grown to be a little bit more like 311 because now they have all of this added percussion especially on this album like uh, on the last album cycle uh i think yeah it was called time and space the last album a few years ago uh they started uh brendan was bringing like these like kind of like marching band like quads on stage and he would play them on a few songs from that album even though i don't think they were featured or like at least prominent in the mix on the last album but uh, there are like two or three songs on this album where you can hear all of this like very uh like very audible uh additional percussion that you don't often hear on a hardcore album and it's kind of like um i'm trying to think of i don't remember which songs exactly it pops up on i think on blackout and maybe dance off but uh it's it's basically like because if you've ever been to a 311 show you've seen them do uh the big drum solo thing on the song applied science where each member of the band gets like a mini drum set to like play together and that kind of that just kind of evokes that same kind of uh, fun energy for me. Well, where Turnstile is better than 311 is that the percussion here isn't just for the sake of noise. It's, I think, at least the way I hear it, an acknowledgement of popular music in 2021. You know, there are references to hip hop all over the place and it's vital and it's totally on point. That's why this album is so good. That and the hooks and the amazing production. Yeah. And uh, also, I don't know if you did much ring, but I'm I'm sure you're, you know, you are at least somewhat aware of. See, I I know nothing about go-go music, but that is a very big thing in Baltimore and D.C., 
And I think some of that added percussion is also a nod to that. Uh, because like I, I read like a, a Pitchfork interview that Brendan did uh, about th this album and he was like, oh yeah, I like grew up and then I was like traveling places playing with the band. I'm like, he's like, I didn't realize that go-go music wasn't popular other places. So that was kind yeah, of funny. They're clearly just like the two of us, they're clearly music nerds. You know, there's a reference to, you know, Sly and the Family Stone yes. uh, the, the, on uh, TLC. On, uh, love on love connection yeah uh, there's that brian wilson thing on uh no surprise uh there's a there's like a an 80s new wave knockoff like an mtv new wave uh style on a song called new heart design and i love Those the piano good on fly again anytime like somebody uses actual piano instead of just like synths or whatever on like a hardcore or hardcore adjacent record I usually love it, and that is the case here. Yeah, it's really impressive. I can't, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, I can't imagine anyone into any form of rock, you know, and kind of, it's like, I mean, like R-A-W-K, rock. <laughs> I can't imagine anyone uh, into rock not liking this. Yeah, and uh, no, yeah, because it, well, the thing is, like, I, I do have some friends who are, um, I'm sure you realize are, are kind of hardcore snobs and, like, go for very niche, like, only go for very niche uh, aesthetics within hardcore, like, kind of just sub-sub-genres of it. And oh, some of them don't like how, like, fun and playful turnstile is still, like, though they won't they're they're like more likely to just shrug it off than like talk shit on it but like i i personally do love the playfulness of it like contrasted to the rest of the genre um there it's funny yeah no i really i do recommend the the pitchfork article that jen pelly did around the album where she talked to brendan because she there there are a few like very good points she she hit um there's like she she wrote that alien love call was a a ballad for misfits and i kind of love that like i really want to sing along to that song in a live setting i feel like i watched them play that there's a really cool recording like that the band posted themselves i think of they they did like their release show in baltimore was at this like band shell in like a public park and there were like a thousand kids there and everybody's like already singing along to all the songs and that's it's it's a, a like they're playing just as the sun goes down and it's really beautiful and um but yeah i also like she she touches on like well no uh, other other people have kind of like they are a very like cool fashionable band they're just a, a cool group of guys you know and they the songs are like not so like hard on sleeve that it gets like kind of dorky but like they are hard on sleeve enough to like for you to connect with them, but they're still cool enough to like mosh to. So I, I kind of like that they've kind of landed right in the middle there. Yeah, it's, there are moments that I'm like, this is almost too slick. I wish it was a little rougher and, you know. Yeah, but I feel like they kind of, like they already conquered that ground in Trapped Under Ice. And so and then it's funny because they also multiple members also play in that band Angel Dust and they're like totally going like that band is like fully like pop like like pretty much pop punk. So like I feel like they have they, they did their heavy stuff with Trapped Under Ice. Turnstile is like kind of in the middle and Angel Dust is them doing pop. So I I think they're it's, it's cool that they've been able to express their uh, creativity in these kind of three different areas all at like a very high level there's, there's a lot of vibes going on you know it's like it's kind of like on the three of the singles i think this, this will be my last point here but it's like on like i think they released mystery blackout and holiday and maybe a couple others before the album came out but those three songs specifically uh like brendan isn't exactly like a literary like lyrical genius in in a way where you're like oh wow that's so profound nobody's ever written anything like that before like I'm, i don't want to say the lyrics are like boilerplate but they are like 
generally vague and there's not like a lot of like crazy like vocab words that like you're not gonna find elsewhere or like references but like he does like what he and the band together are really good at capturing I think are just very specific moods and energies and vibes you know and it's like those those three songs like I think are kind of I, I don't know exactly when the album was recorded but like they I think those songs resonate because like mystery is about like I I want it maybe I'm just projecting this onto it maybe it means something different to the band but like it's he's saying is the mystery gone like is there still like this magic out there that hardcore and music in general brings to people like is that going to come back then it's kind of the same thing with blackout and holiday is kind of like the, the choruses I just want to celebrate. And it's kind of just like, yeah, just uh, songs to celebrate life to and like a soundtrack to like coming of age and searching for meaning. And which, which is something that not every hardcore album uh, asks you as a listener. It's very inviting. It's a good time. Love it. Okay, Bill, uh, do you want to tell us about uh, your um, East Coast new album pick? Yeah, uh, my album is not a good time in any way, shape, or form. Black Encyclopedia of the Air is the latest full-length recording by More Mother, the uh, woman who grew up in Maryland and rose to prominence in Philadelphia uh, with the government name of Kime Ayewa. The haunting's real, they try to spook me out. They Jim Crow the air, I couldn't scream or shout. All I could do was stare, make my great escape. Uh, she works at the intersection of punk, industrial noise, dark ambient drones, hip hop, jazz. In other words, she's pretty close to the center of my personal wheelhouse. I think she's, and I, I know she is, one of the most vital artists of the moment. Uh, she's part of this wave of Afrofuturism with uh, other artists I like, like Georgia Ann Muldrow and Adri Adrian Young. And she's a poet. So she evokes Langston Hughes and Nikki Giovanni, but also she's completely conversant with Sun Ra and Andre 3000 and, you know, artists of that ilk. And my history with her um, explain, you know, helps to explain a range. Uh, she's in an avant-garde jazz band called Irreversible Entanglements. When their debut album came out in 2017, I thought, man, I, why would anyone want to listen to, you know, these avant-garde jazz people yelling at you. you know, I, I just couldn't handle it. But uh, two years later, I went to the Big Ears Festival in Knoxville, Tennessee, and saw her solo set, which I hated. She did this industrial noise thing. I was, I'm like, what is wrong with all these people in this room who are digging it? But then the next day, I saw her with the Art Ensemble of Chicago, maybe my favorite band of all time, the... Uh, uh, the leading group of the advancement of uh, creative musician, uh, creative musicians, AACM, uh, with the credo of ancient to the future. And she, so she did her thing with this big band. Uh, and then four months ago, one of my first post pandemic shows, I drove to Columbia, Missouri to see Irreversible Entanglements with more mother in front. And she was astonishing. And I'm like, all of a sudden, I don't know if, what's changed in the four years, but I can handle getting yelled at. Or maybe it's that I realized she's not yelling at me. She is yelling at the system. Society. Society. So- uh, was, that, was that at True False? It was outdoors in a, par a park called Stevens Park near Stevens College. Mm -hmm. It was really beautiful. Oh, cool. Yeah, really nice. Uh, so yeah, her philosophy is what she calls black quantum futurism, which is quote, a new approach to living and experiencing reality. And that's what this album, Black Encyclopedia of the Air is all about. It's on anti, so it's our first like biggish label 
release. And even though it's incredibly difficult, it's probably less difficult than most of her work. She She's recording all the time and collaborating all the time. So there's a ton of more mother out there, yep. but this is a pretty good introduction point. Yeah, there isn't much like harshness to to get past on on this one. Well, it, like, I mean, like, says, says, says the punk rocker. <laughs> yeah, it's I mean, it's 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 not easy. It's produced by a Swedish producer, Olaf Melander. Uh, but I, I think if it's easier to listen to it if you understand she's a poet and you listen to it as spoken word with music behind it. I mean, you know, you can snap your fingers after the lines you like. You know, I think that's 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 the way to go into it. Uh, so, Aaron, what's thumbs up, thumbs down? How do you feel about this? Uh, I I'm I I came. I came out enjoying the album. I've, uh, I've only I have I've not come into contact with um, more mothers uh, jazz ensemble, uh, but I have listened to her in the past through her collaborations with uh, Armand Hammer, and uh, wait no no well yeah one Armand Hammer but she has, she has a full album with uh, Billy Woods from Armand Hammer which uh, was called Brass that came out last year. And I thought that was fantastic. That was like probably one of my favorite hip hop albums of last year. And then I listened to her album Circuit City also last year, which I, I was doing more reading as I prepared for this. And like, I didn't, I didn't really get that album upon listening to it. I know I might have, I might've had to have more of a, jazz pedigree to get what was all going on there uh but yeah i've also heard just tracks of hers with show me the body hexes hers and pink sifu so i've I've mostly come in contact with all of her hip-hop collaborations to this point so um seeing her in this kind of uh close closer to jazz setting like the the instrumentals are kind of like jazz hip-hop a little bit of electronic stuff going on uh and i i enjoyed uh her in that setting and um i can't say like i was like maybe maybe i just need to give it more listens there there weren't a ton of like wow moments for me i think one was maybe on the song uh zami zami um but I did just enjoy the just kind of the the mood and the tone of the album overall as this kind of uh, nocturnal kind of experimental hip hop that um, her and uh, many of her collaborators end up making. That's that's a niche that, you know, I can I'm happy to sit and listen to any like new album uh, in that realm, you know, any day uh, there are as as there are on uh, a lot of those other collaborations i thought there were a lot of really cool kind of sounds and textures that were unique to the album and uh her work uh but yeah i don't know if i felt quite as passionately as you do about it um what what were some of your kind of like what were some key moments or kind of elements to the album for you yeah, the song you referenced is the best track, and that is the place, if you're going to listen to one thing, it's Zami. But yeah, the way she combines all these elements, uh, both literary and musical, are fascinating to me. And it's, I mean, it's really heavy and it's dense, but at the same time, like she, she she'll have fun, like... Uh, there's a song called Iso Funk in which she is rapping around the chorus of the Patti LaBelle, Michael McDonald song on my own, you know, the big hit duet. And so, so she knows how, you know, how to draw people in. This is not as esoteric as it first might appear. Uh, as you said, she has guests all over this uh, album. There's like British grime on here. There's like some Southern, you know, Southern funk, like in the mold of Outcast. There's, 
There's a song called Rogue Waves that seems to be playing on uh, the Dr. Dre sound, you know, from the classic Death Row days. Uh, there, there's a track called uh, Tarot that is like, a, you know, your favorite Roy Ayers kind of vibe going on. Uh, it's exciting to me when an artist can consolidate and improve upon popular music of the past 50 years and when they can when they have a literary bent like more mother does it makes it all the more rewarding yeah i i can't imagine i can't even think of another artist right now that's doing that better than uh she does yeah i'm 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 knocked out no yeah and you, you mentioned that she is able to kind of consolidate all these things. And yeah, like the, the runtime of the album is, is only 33 minutes. And uh, I think it, uh, a lot of, a lot of albums in like of hers and her co collaborators end up like, I, I don't want to say a lot of them, but some of them can end up being a little overindulgent and like having a giant runtime. Not that like that negates, um, any of their you know musical qualities but and you know i have a decent enough attention span but like yeah when you are able to put that into a 30 minute album and still have all of that all those cool dynamics going on like that that is uh, attractive to me and um yeah no i'm i'm sure i i will end up listening to this uh, a few more times and maybe with with your insight picking it apart a little and, and enjoying it a bit more than I did uh, on first listen. Yeah, this is what I wanted Earl Sweatshirt, Earl Sweatshirt to become. And, you know, Earl's kind of tried to follow the same path, but frankly, at least so far, he hasn't done anything nearly as good as this new more mother album. Mm. I'm, well, er Earl ends up making music that is like highly personal and it seems like more mother traffics a little more in like uh you know conversations of like politics and society and stuff like that so i i i'm i'm a huge fan of earls and basically his whole catalog and i do really like all of the uh recent features of his and like his whole kind of camp with uh like navy blue and mike and all of those guys, all these New York rappers that he's working with a lot. So, I, yeah. Well, but just as Earl has, you know, is obsessed with his father, you know, more mother is constantly talking about her elders and what needs to be learned from the past. So even though more mother yet yeah, tends to have a broader range than Earl, I, I think they're addressing the same sorts of things in much the same way. And obviously I'm talking about Earl because I think he's brilliant as well. Yeah. But this is just on a level, more mothers on a level that Earl has yet to achieve. Well, um, unless you have any other words on this record, um, I think we will move to our throwback pick for this week, which is Monica's 1998 album. You said said 88 in your intro bill uh the boy is mine i will let you wait for all time promise you Yeah, I guess um, I will preface this with uh, one, I am not a expert or scholar to any extent on 90s R&B, but I do hope one day to be. Um, and two, I think this album, at least in my opinion, it seems like just as good a starting point for that era as any. I, I really love this album and um i i first um listened to it front to back i think earlier this year uh maybe late last year um because i i don't know how it came up but i i think i was like just listening to uh, 
I, I had, oh, I wasn't listening to the actual CD, but I came across again, the, uh, the Space Jam soundtrack. And that CD, like I had that actual CD that my dad must have bought for me at some point. And that was a very important uh, album to me, the From and Inspired by soundtrack to Space Jam. Uh, one, because I love that movie. Uh, and may- maybe it came up because they, they put out the, the s- sequel that I haven't watched still. I don't know. But um, no, yeah, that, I think that album, upon looking back on it, was my first introduction to a lot of hip hop and R&B because I don't know, most of the CDs and stuff I had or like however I was finding music on the internet as a small child, uh, a lot of it was was rock music so this this and maybe like the pop rap that was on like MTV jams and hot 103 when I was uh, less than 10 that w- those were some of that that stuff and the space jam soundtrack was my first introduction to hip-hop and RB so uh, I I still listening to for you I will uh, that song, I, I feel like uh, I'm guessing that your take on that song is that it's it's too that it, it's too like cheesy for you. Um, uh, it's, but, e- it's easily the worst it, song on the album. Oh my god! It's it's like it's like maybe it's all nostalgia. Possible, I don't know. The worst possible Whitney Houston impression. That that <sighs> it's just, that's unacceptable, Aaron. But but I love <laughs> you know sometimes you post you know photos of yourself as a child you know when you were a kid. And you were so cute. I'm not sure what happened, but uh, thank, thank, thank you, you were adorable. Bill. I love thinking um, of uh, eight-year-old Aaron. I, I don't know what kind of turn this this is taking, but. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, no, what's, what's, what's your, what's your experience with the boy's mind, Bill? Tell me. Well, I, I, I'm sorry I got the date wrong because the no. 1998 was one of my favorite moments of my life. Uh, it was the last year of the Clinton presidency. Uh, so everything was going great in my life. Uh, it was pre-Napster. And uh, so I still had a job, you know, I could still do what I, I did in a previous life. And uh, I had two toddlers, you know, uh, kids who are both older than you. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, uh, Monica was not my favorite of this batch. Uh, uh, my favorite by far was Shantae Moore. Okay. Were, were you also more into Brandy? Um, they do have that Brandy, duet. Brandy, I was always neutral. I was always, yeah, there's a duet on this album, uh, which is the best song on the album. But the, that is a great song. The, uh, but Destiny, Destiny's Child was just hitting at this point too. Uh, but yeah, there were lots of, lots of, uh, you know, young R&B starlets and you know I but I, I feel obligated to point out as much as I like this album and I do what needs to be said here is uh it was executive produced by Aaron's hero Clive Davis and all the names associated with schlock of this era are included here Diane I, Roy- I almost said schlock when I was uh prefacing your for you, I will take. <laughs> yeah, uh, Rodney Jerkins, Jermaine Dupree, David Foster. Oh, so uh, this is the pinnacle of what all those schlocky people could do. And it worked. This was a hit album and it deserved to be a hit. But pretty much every one of these songs is made for radio. And a lot of them were, in fact, radio hits and deservedly so. No, yeah. Um... So you mentioned a lot of the kind of producers and people kind of behind this album. And one of, one of them being uh, Dallas Austin, who I was doing a bit of research on. And it seems like he never had another body of work that was quite as huge as this. But I, I would like to salute him for, for his work here. He was, he's on, I think, at least half these songs. Um, and I don't know. Well, yeah, you bring up that she's doing a, a Whitney Houston, uh, impersonation as you say. And yeah, she does like cite Whitney and Mary J Blige as like two of her, 
biggest influences and maybe it's uh the fact that i'm not as uh well read on uh soul music as you are but like i did kind of appreciate her um maybe if not perfectly at least like bringing in some qualities of soul music but having the openness to like hip-hop adjacent beats and production on this album like i like that those two worlds meet in a way that's still really appealing and fun to listen to it's true but you know it's clearly at least in my mind clive davis saying we need at least one song for every conceivable audience yeah. so like there's a cover of misty blue the old malico ballad malico records ballad uh, it was, you know, so that would be for the, you know, for the potential fans born in the 30s and 40s. And then there's, you know, some new Jack Swing stuff, you know, it's like, what, in fact, one of the least successful songs is that it's like a rewrite of my prerogative. It's, oh, across the room. It's like, why? Because they, because they wanted to get the people born in the 70s, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it really is something for everyone. My, my only, my biggest beef though isn't the schlocky Whitney Houston impersonation. It's on the very first track, there is a, uh, there's a ding, like a, like, a, like a bell being rung that sounds exactly like, you know, you're, you're, get, you're getting a text on, on an iPhone. Okay. So every time I listen to that, usually I, I listen to this driving around, I'm like, who, why, why is my, why is my phone dinging? No, it's the, it's, Street Symphony. I don't know if the sound chosen by Apple was based on this ding in Street Symphony, or if, or, or you know, what, 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 which came first, but it drives me nuts. And I, okay, so yeah, if, if you're listening to this and you're a record executive or a producer of some sort, uh, if you could please mail Bill an, a copy of this album without the ding, on Street Symphony that would make him so happy. Um, I really just want that for him as a friend. Um. <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's like, you know, sometimes it's usually hip hop, you know, you, you, there are songs with, you know, sirens. It's like, wh wh why are you uh, doing yeah, that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty agreed upon, I think, on at least on my side of Twitter and Facebook, it's like, no, don't put the sirens on the song. I don't want to think of cops behind me. <laughs> yeah, it's not not cool. But yeah, no. Um, I one I want to give a quick shout out to a uh, local rapper Southside Dame uh, on one of his earliest songs. Uh, I don't. I can't. I I actually can't tell if it's sampling this version of Misty Blue or another. But on his song One Hundred Bitches. He, he he kind of opens it with he like a like kind of like a a squeaky kind of like Kanye West style soul sample of uh, Misty Blue and I love that song and um, if it's not on streaming I I hope he can like get that to streaming someday because I'll still go just listen to it on SoundCloud sometimes that's a great song um, but also another uh, kind of sample thing that. I'm surprised you haven't touched on independently is the I love uh the sting sample on take him back uh like that sting shape of my heart uh unironically is a kick-ass song I, I love it at the end of uh fucking Leon the professional um I love that juice world samples it on lucid dreams I love that it's sampled on here um, I can't wait for the next like pop album in 10 years that samples that song to be a hit. I want to, I want to know who's going to use it then. Bill, tell me how much you love the sting sample. You know, I can't on that song taken back. I can't get past the fact that it's just a complete ripoff of Tony Braxton's unbreak my heart. Uh, okay. So, that, so you have a different beef with that song. Yeah, I just can't. It's too much for me. The song I want to talk about is uh, Gun Be Mine. Is it gone? Did I write that wrong? Is it really Gun Be Mine? But uh, Outcast, of course, yeah. Outcast pops up here. And 
Andre's verse is really good and Big Boy's verse is not. Mm. And it seems to me that's a predictable pattern and it alarms me because, you know, these days, Big Boy without Andre is a festival headliner. And I'm not sure what people think they're getting because I'm just not on team Big Boy. Okay. Well, perhaps we'll have to. I'm wrong. Uh, I, I don't have like a hot take either way. Like, I think I pretty much uh, agree with the common sentiment that like they were unstoppable together, but independently, not so much. Um, yeah, no, I perhaps we'll have to excavate a, an outcast album at some point so we can go, go to town on that. Um, but yeah, I think my final note. Oh, okay. So I like, I, I was reading the, the, the Wikipedia page, of course, and uh, apparently at, at the time, The Guardian called this album the template for 21st century soul. Bill, I want to hear you uh, your, your take on that. No, I, I don't think that's right. And it's not a knock on the album, but this is all derivative. You know, this is all professional executives like Clive Davis overseeing something that's going to be a hit. There's nothing foundational here. This is all, hey, Whitney did this. Let's get a song like that on the album. Tony Braxton did this. Let's get a song like that on the album. Hey, uh, looks like Destiny's Child's going to be a big deal. We better in- incorporate something like that here. This is just uh, this is just all copycat stuff in the best possible sense. Yeah. Uh, again. This album was enjoyable then. It's enjoyable now, but no, man. This this is all. This is all. You know, aping other hits, and they do. It's it's really good at that. But no, no. This is this this is light but enduring pop music. I, I love that. I got a no man out out of you. That was that was fun. Um, no, I think, uh, my, my final note, I, 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 you know, she, Monica was 19 when this album came out. And, uh, I think that being said, she sang with a skill far beyond her years and that her, I don't know, like, I really personally enjoy her specific, uh, vocal tone. I think it's very, uh, inviting and like, I think key for any R&B singer, like they have to communicate to you that uh, like their like extreme level of yearning at one point or another. And uh, I, I felt uh, the yearning uh, on many times on this Monica album. And uh, you know, who else, who, who among us has, has never yearned. And uh, I think this is a good album to do it to. <laughs> Yeah, this is, uh, you know, it, it is just meat and potatoes stuff that everyone can relate to. Uh, there's some, there's schlock and cheese here, but, you know, sometimes, you know, especially if your name is Aaron Rhodes, that's what you need. Yeah, I'm, I'm a dumb idiot. Give me, give me my schlock and cheese. Uh, coming, coming soon, Bill, Bill's Deli, get, get your schlock and cheese sandwich. Um, Real, real tasty, delicious. Um, <laughs> okay, Bill, do you, do you have? Do you have? Okay, yeah. Let's uh, let's let's wrap this one. Uh, what, plug, give me the plugs. Uh, you mentioned there stands the glass dot com, where yes. my old man writings are, it, but but my elderly man writings are at plasticsacks.com. That's uh, Kansas City jazz specific site. Uh, otherwise, I hope listeners in the Midwest will join me for uh, Aaron's next uh, promoter uh, initiative. Uh, what's your next show, Aaron? The show that you're putting on? Oh, well, I have three shows this month. I have uh, Yambag 
uh, from Cleveland and LIB from Indianapolis with Rifle Colt and DYE at 2232. It's a punk house show on October 7th in Kansas City. Uh, shoot us a message if you need the address. And then later this month, we have two back-to-back uh, early evening metal, all-ages metal shows at 7th Heaven with uh, one night being 200 stab wounds from Cleveland Death Metal. And then the next night, uh, Enforced, uh, which is a Richmond thrash band that I find to be quite excellent. Uh, so yeah, get the details on those at shuttlecockmusic.com. Follow at shuttlecockmag on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The web store is shuttlecockmag.bigcartel.com. Issue four of the magazine is out now. I just started dropping it off at shops in Kansas City today and uh, it will find its way to Lawrence and Johnson County in the near future. Uh, but yeah, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll, we'll do our best not to, to leave you hanging for that long next time. Uh, goodbye now. See you, Bill. Glad to be back with you, Aaron. Back in the New York group.